When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. the great Al in White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report, here on Monday, the 1st of October from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay of the show all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern, or find the show's bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, found on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, really, and at LondonBridge.com. This week, we're all over week four of the National Football League. Urban Meyer wins his The Sports Media Will Forget About My Wrongdoings game. Al Rance on the orange loss at Clemson. We'll run down our picks in this week's six-pack. Try to make sense of the baseball wild card and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week of athletics. The baseball world, at least in the National League, has been turned upside down and will come to fruition with quite some exciting games to finish off 163 to decide a 162 season we'll get into baseball we'll get into college football we'll get into why your temperament for this show maybe isn't as jolly as it has been for the previous eight and we'll start in the national football league and we always seem to record this show on sunday nights during the sunday night football game so we can't give our immediate reactions to what the outcome will be Unfortunately, when Aaron Rodgers went down and then made that great comeback to the Bears, we were halfway to that point. Currently, the Ravens and the Steelers are tied at the half. It's a typical Ravens-Steelers-esque matchup, punch for punch. It'll probably come right down to the wire as it often does. The Ravens could have fared a little bit better, however, and that's just point one that's got you a little steam so far. Just... Uh, a sports weekend that looks like it's ready to finish as a complete and total nightmare for yours truly. Johnny, always great to be with you again. Uh, this has been the weekend from hell for yours truly on the sports front, uh, sticking with where you were and where you started with respect to the, the Ravens Steelers. They're a typical battle royale. Ravens on the verge of going up 21-3 early domination. Uh, and, of course, uh, Collins fumbles at the Pittsburgh one-yard line. Or doesn't put the ball away uh, after uh, he cuts back and spins. Uh, Steelers go down the field, kick a field goal, and then eventually touchdown, two-point conversion. We are tied at the half, 14-all. Roethlisberger's already thrown for over 200 yards. He'll probably throw for 500 like he always do. He always does. He'll probably put it up 50 times like he always does against the Ravens. And they'll probably win on a field goal at the gun like they always do on Sunday night at the Ravens. That'll just cap off the weekend from sports hell for yours truly. But we'll get to all of that, uh, a topsy-turvy NFL weekend, upsets, overtimes, a bunch of them. Uh, you know, we start uh, with the world champs who had a game under control 
at 17-3, looking for all the world like they were in good shape. And then the next thing you know, uh, know, and and I should know better. I should know better to avoid as part of my six-pack for the rest of my life any game involving Marcus Mario. Or Marcus Mario. Every every time. Every time. Please, Marcus Mario. Every time I do something involving Marcus Mariota, it winds up on the wrong end. Whether it was at Oregon, whether it's as a Tennessee Titan, no matter what I do, on him, against him, with him, it doesn't matter. It always screws me. And once again today, uh, they come back and they can they tie the game. Uh, Philly takes a three point lead, and then they convert a fourth and fifteen down the stretch. Then they convert another fourth down. It was bad. In the overtime. defense was bad in that in last overtime, drive. Overtime, they convert a fourth down when they they don't go for the field goal. They go for it on fourth down. They make it on a little screen pass, all right, uh, to Lewis. And next thing you know, uh, the world champs are two and two, and lose a game they clearly should have won. And that was just one of the many thrilling endings we had today. Uh, you know, I, I, another. Gut-wrenching loss for Atlanta uh, at home in, in just a, a wild and woolly affair with the Bengals. Yeah, speaking of no defense, I know that Atlanta defense has been susceptible to far too many injuries to this point during the season, but as Bart Scott once said, they can't stop a nosebleed, and they haven't been able to this entire season, it seems. Having to get into these shootouts with teams that's not going to give you a winning formula. There's just no way you're going to be able to do that week in and week out. And here we go again, a shootout with the Red Rocket, of all people, flying up and down the field. You think that they have momentum. You think that they're going to be okay. You think that home field advantage will do something. And it doesn't matter. They lose another one. They, they have one win this season. And if that defense can't be relied upon just once, it's looking like curtains already for this Falcons team, unless they're going to be scoring 50 points a game. And remember that is uh, a defensive guru at the helm and his defense just gets absolutely shredded each week, uh, no matter where they play Uh, today, they couldn't stop Andy Dalton and the great AJ green, the most underrated wide receiver in the game that nobody ever talks about as a top two or three wide receiver, which he clearly is. I actually don't think there's anybody better than him. Uh, he makes huge catches uh, all over the field. Most importantly, uh, in that spot on the field where when you catch it, uh, you get points. Uh, the Ravens have never been able to stop him. He always wears my team out. And he beat, uh, he beat the Falcons today in their own building as he catch, catches a touchdown with, I believe, seven seconds left to break the Falcons fans' hearts and uh, move the Bengals, the much maligned Bengals, uh, and their quarterback to 3-1. and one. You have Matt Ryan throw five touchdowns against the Saints. You have him throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns this game. There's not much more he can do to help win football games and, until they can right that ship. We saw it last year. The, the defense was one of the reasons why they weren't able to get past those Eagles and get a spot and move forward. We saw it in the Super Bowl. And, the defense is what did it to them. It's, it's been bad for them. And I find it more and more difficult to believe how anyone can even play defense anymore in the National Football League. I mean, look at the numbers today. Everywhere you looked, uh, 
somebody threw for 350 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, you know, everybody's throwing the ball 50 times a game. You can't touch these wide receivers anywhere on the field. You know, it's either a, you know, an illegal contact and an automatic five-yard five penalty and automatic first down. You know, on third and 39, if you touch a guy, uh, it, it's, it's ludicrous. They've made playing deep. Forget about, forget about, let's, let's set aside the roughing the passer fiascos. You know, it's impossible. You can't cover guys. You can't touch them. You can't cover them. You know, it, it, it's just, it's, out, it's outlandish. It's made these games just alternate into aerial circuses. Uh, huge games all around the league today. Great to see Andrew Luck play well. Uh, they lost an absolute up and down affair. Uh, you know, when they came back against the Texans with a touchdown or two point conversion, uh, that game went into overtime. He threw for a boatload of yards and four touchdowns. Uh, you look around and see Mitchell Trubisky. He's throwing for, you know, five touchdowns in the first half. Uh, we can put away the Ryan Fitzpatrick fairy tale. That thing is that that ship is sailed uh, as they got a 45 three lead. Uh, the Bears over the Bucks. Uh, everywhere you look, it, it's just one huge game uh, after another. It used to be, you know, the elite quarterbacks are the only ones who did it. Now everybody does it. It's just it's a walk on the beach. You know, 35 for 50, 380, three touchdowns. You know, a- anybody can do it in the National Football League. Doesn't matter who. Yeah, it's been bad. And we saw today with Mitchell Trubisky. Last week it was, okay, the Bears won, but boy, he didn't look great. He's the worst of these young first, second-year quarterbacks that we've seen come out of those drafts. They're going to have to rely on their defense, and he throws five touchdowns in the first half and ends with six, and he's on precipices of tying the seven-touchdown record like it was no problem at all. We see Josh Rosen come in against a Seattle Seahawks defense that, while it is not what it once was, it's still a decent defense, and he has very good plays against that defense. Amazing throws on third downs. He's coming into his own. Then you look over at the Bills and think, all right, what's going to happen with Josh Allen this week after he came onto the scene last week and beat the Vikings? No points. <laughs> so it's, it's and a, and a, impossible. Of all the teams, of all the teams uh, you, you would think that uh, wouldn't pitch a shutout. Green Bay, whose defense never gets it done in yeah. a big spot. And, and lo and behold, they shut the Bills up. Number one fantasy defense in fantasy football, the Green Bay Packers. I'm sure everybody had that down on their book. Well, it just leads us to this. If you're a member of the media, if you're a fan of your team, and somebody has a bad quarterback outing one week, just relax for a second. As Aaron Rodgers once said to everyone, R-E-L-A-X, because the very next week it could be the complete opposite effect, and they could easily win a football game that you never thought they would win. Just let there be some sort of sample size before you get to the top of the building and crown who the next MVP, who the second coming will be. Let's just pump our brakes, because it's a different brand of football than when you could have did that 10 years ago. Thankfully for someone that has been given that aura already a couple years back, injuries have put that on pause. Andrew Luck... Another solid game this week. Four touchdowns, 460-something yards. I just have to ask you about their decision in overtime. And I think we're seeing a different look to overtimes after we've had as many ties as we've had, after yet another week where a game goes into overtime, make that two. 
seemed like teams were playing not to have the tie happen and were going a little bit overboard with their decisions that might not have been the right play necessarily, whether or not it worked out. For the Colts to go for it on fourth down in Texans territory, where they would only really need one play to get into field goal range, which is exactly what they did, I did not like that decision at all. Where the game was, with the time left, I was shocked that they went for it. I know it was only four or five yards. I know you have Andrew Luck. Didn't work out for them. Deshaun Watson thankfully made the right decision, went to the hot hand with DeAndre Hopkins. They both played incredible in that game. You could see that coming from a mile away when they decided to go for it after some timeouts and some decision-making. What in God's name were they doing? We could say that because it didn't work. But even still, I couldn't believe that they brought him out there to make that throw. Didn't work out, and you basically handed the Texans a much, much needed win, a heartbreaking loss for the Colts. Teams are going for wins. Uh, I mean, Tennessee did the same thing. I mean, Tennessee was in a position to kick the field goal and to tie it in overtime, and they went for the win after Philly got the field goal to start the overtime. They went down the field. They had fourth down. They could have tried the field goal. They went for it. Um, teams are sick of ties. Uh, I, players don't like ties. I think players would rather go for wins in the post-game press conference. Uh, Andrew Luck had no problem with the decision, uh, nor did anybody in the locker room. He was hoping that his coach didn't have second thoughts. Uh, I'm not saying I, I agree or disagree with it. Uh, I would have to take a longer look at the down distance, etc., and, and uh, you know, give it some thought. But uh, if you're not in a situation where you can kick the field goal um, and they're going up and down the field against you anyway, if you got a chance to win the game with getting five yards, six yards, if it's fourth and 12, fourth and 15, that's one thing. But if it's a question of punting the ball back to the other team uh, or going for a fourth and five to put yourself in, in a position to get the winning score, I'm, I'm probably uh, at this stage in the season, I'm probably going to go for the win. Fourth and four uh, because, on the Colts, 43 is the official number for that. Pardon me? Fourth and four on the Colts, 43 it was. They threw about a five-yard pass. It was low, and it ended up being dropped. It was too low to be caught. Had they caught it, they would have had the first down. They threw about a five-yard pass. Actually, you know, right play call, guys open, you make a bad throw. Uh, you punt it, you give it back to Houston with a chance for them to go down the field and kick a few old beach. But are ties worse than losses? It feels like... Some NFL teams are thinking that way, and I don't necessarily think that to be the case. I don't think you can view a tie as worse as a loss. Well, you never can, but you look into the analytics of it, and uh, it it seems when they run the analytic aspects of it that that, that the tie can hurt you. I don't know. You know, I would have to have somebody explain to me all the uh, the sabermetric aspect of it, but I think that, you know, the the players want to win games. The players don't like the idea of playing for 70 minutes and have nothing to show for it. And uh, I, I think the coaches are starting to get a feel for that. And I also think they're starting to get a feel for the last thing I want to do in these games is give the ball back to the other team. I mean, I hate the tie, as I've said on the show. I, I think they should find another way. I don't know what the best way for that I, to be. I'm, but... I'm the lone wolf. I, I, I've never had a problem with ties. Uh, I have no need for overtime in the regular season. Never have uh, in college or pro. 
Uh, I always like the idea of ties. I think they're funky. Uh, I think they put more strategy into games uh, at the end of them uh, without the overtime. And I think it makes it very intriguing and it's less taxing on the players. So I could, I could do without overtime altogether in the regular season in both uh, the NFL and the NCAA. But you know me, I, I am the ultimate dinosaur. Uh, they're not going back again. Uh, they're only going to go forward. So uh, I, I think that uh, I think you're probably going to see more of it uh, because uh, coaches are getting more and more confidence in their offenses and defenses are having more and more problems stopping teams from scoring. Well, the, ten, the 10 minutes is quick. You're correct. It goes remarkably fast. I mean, the, the, it seems like it goes so much faster than 15 minutes. You look up, and there's four minutes to go in overtime. So I guess it's safe to say the Pats are back. You know, it's funny. This week, we're picking our games against the spread. Uh, we're looking against going, the spread. This is, keep going. Just talk. I was. I, I know exactly where you're going. I was fearful of the bigger spreads this week, the seven points, the ten points. Some of them, it was like there was not even a question that you had to pick against it. Of, of course they were going to cover. This was one of those games. It was, I believe, seven. Some people probably got it at six it and a half seven. looked out. It was six and a half, seven. They could have made this 25, 30. It, it was ridiculous how easy this was of a game to cover. I went with the smaller ones, which we'll get to in our six-pack segment. Ones that I thought, well, you know, three and a half, they win by a touchdown. Three, they win by a field goal. You, you push. These bigger spreads this week looked awful. This one in particular, a lot of people avoided. We weren't sure with the Patriots. Maybe the Dolphins were for real. Ha! Fools we were. And I'm right in sync with you. Because I thought this was an incredibly tough week, and it showed when we get to our picks. And I, I looked at this game and I was like, is this finally, is it, is it finally going to happen? You know, they're off, they're off to a great start and New England's struggling. They're getting a touchdown. So do I, and then I was like, wait a second, it's a touchdown. It's one score. They never beat them up there. So it, best case scenario, you know, I, I could see this is a close game and New England scores late and, 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 and you know, it, it's a push, or they win by 10. So, you know, let me leave that one alone. And lo and behold, it was one of the best no plays you could ever make. Not that that helped me this week with the results of my picks, but it, as you said, it, it turned out to be uh, pretty much the same old deal when uh, we say, uh, could New England be in trouble? Uh, not, at least not yet. And let me make this point, and I'll even give credit begrudgingly to the person that makes it most for both of us, and that's Evan Cohen of the Morning Men, who's always quick to point out that the Patriots take the first three to four games of the regular season somewhat as their preseason, and they try to see what they have on defense and offense. They throw in people into maybe uncomfortable positions, and then once week five and six comes around, they figure out what they're going to look like for the rest of the season. We've seen that time and time again. Years ago, when I believe it was week two, the Patriots got blown out by the Chiefs and everybody thought this was it for Tom Brady. We remember that hit piece from ESPN, I think, last year in the offseason when Garoppolo was still on the team. This is the changing of the guard. Brady hates Belichick. It's over. The dynasty. It's all just been people screaming in caves and liking to hearing their voices come back at them because we are still not close to the dynasty being over yet. 
We saw Sonny Michel struggle in the first couple games, and Boston media rip him, and he's not ready. And what does he do today? 100 yards, let's get into the end zone and show everybody we're ready to go. We're not playing Josh Gordon last week. We're making him inactive. We're going to make him learn everything. He gets several big third down completions. Oh, who's coming back next week now? Julian Edelman. Let's start the ship because this is the week where the gas was geared up to go. Dismantling of the Dolphins, who had the nerve to think maybe they were going to be okay in the division and might run away with it. Ha! <laughs> A big and, middle and finger also, to all of us from New England. Let's remember, as always, as usual, if the Dolphins are going to you know, return to normalcy, the division, like always, stinks. So uh, the Jets get manhandled today uh, down in Jacksonville. Uh, the Bills, as we alluded to earlier, uh, get taken apart uh, by the Packers. So uh, it's not going to take 12 and four uh, in any way, shape or form to win that division. It's just a question of at the end of the day, uh, you know, where will New England be playing in the postseason? Because uh, that division is as usual theirs for the take. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Not to say that teams don't look at the scoreboard or anything like that, but the Lions probably looking at the Packers winning today in pretty good fashion, thinking that they have to put a good game together against a Cowboys team that we still don't know nothing about. And I guess Dallas is just going to be like akin to, for the NBA fans, KD and Westbrook on the Thunder, sort of carrying them to the playoffs and the postseason and a chance to win the finals. I guess Dak and Zeke are just going to have to do everything for Dallas. And if they both play their best games of their careers, they'll win football games because it was the Dak I, and Zeke I show. just think Dallas has 8-8 eight eight written all over them. Uh, you know, I, I, Dallas is just, to me, win one, lose one, win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Uh, they've got a, a terrific running back who can do a lot of things, uh, running with it as a ball carrier, uh, coming out of the backfield as a pass catcher. He's an incredibly gifted player. They've still got a very good offensive line. Uh, they've got a quarterback that I think is a middling quarterback. Um, I, I think he's a smart kid. I think he's a good kid. Um, he can play for me any day of the week, uh, but I don't think he's ever going to be a great quarterback in the National Football League. I mean, uh, maybe I'll call him a poor man's Russell Wilson. I, I don't know. Something along those lines. He doesn't make a lot of plays. Um, he doesn't make a lot of great throws, but he also doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And you know, today he had a really good game, and they needed him to have a really good game uh, because, again, this is a game that was a back-and-forth deal. Looked like they were in control, and all of a sudden, Matthew Stafford, who had a great game, uh, gets his team out in front, and Dallas goes down the field, and uh, you know, they kick a game-winning field goal at the gun, and uh, they're back to 2-2, two and two, and right in the midst of their NFC East division, because uh, that is totally up for grabs, and uh, the Lions heartbreakingly uh, drop to 1-3, and three, which, you know, is pretty much the story of, of the Detroit Lions. Well, here's also a note for those in the National Football League. 
the players don't need to hear this, but for the fans that might think the players are selfish for wanting to get paid what they believe they're worth and wanting to do so, maybe when their contracts aren't up, but they still want to stay with whatever team they've been with, Earl Thomas breaks his leg in the Seahawks-Cardinals game. I don't know if you saw this, but as he's being carted off the field, turns toward the Seahawks bench and flips them one of his fingers, and it wasn't a thumbs up to let them know he was okay, sort of showing them that this is exactly why he was doing what he was doing, why he didn't want to play, why he wanted his money, because on the turn of a hat in the National Football League, your season and potentially your career can be over. We saw Tyler Eifert, another horrific injury for him. He'll be done for the season. It could turn on a dime for these guys, and I can't blame them for trying to get the money that they think they deserve. Now, it's incredibly difficult in the NFL, as we've talked about. It's the joke that I make. If you want to make money, go play basketball, go play baseball, or be a quarterback. Anything else in the National Football League, good luck. But it just goes to show, this is exactly what he was fearful would happen. He does become a free agent after this season, but who knows what he's going to be like now, having to now rehab his leg. And this is his second broken leg. Um, it, it, it's not the, I, I don't think it's the kind of broken leg that, you know, I, I, I had a broken leg. Uh, it, I had a it didn't broken, look incredibly I, serious, I, I, I had a but broken, even still. And I, I'm not giving short shrift to any injury suffered by an NFL player. But in any sport now, you know, if you have a hairline fracture, it's a broken leg. I had a real broken leg. You know, I had a broken tibia, broken fibia, cast up to my hip three and a half months, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I got my leg basically snapped in two. Um, now, hairline fractures are considered broken legs. But that's neither here nor there. He's out for the season, I'm sure. This is the second time he's had a broken leg. And you're absolutely right. This is the life on the line sport. This is, you know, just a snap of your fingers and your season slash your career could be over you fight your fanny off for every penny you can get absolutely positively but to do what he did on his way off the field i am to his teammates at least that's what it looked like it was directed to me yeah i don't know where exactly he was looking uh, but I, it was it, up there it, long enough to where it, on the cart he, it he seemed was, like he it was, was on the, whole the road yeah. so it's not like there's an owner's box for his owner up there for Paul Allen. So I, I can't figure this one out. I mean, why are you flipping off your teammates? They don't control the purse strings. You know, they don't make the decisions on how this team is going to be run financially. They're in the same boat that you're in. So why are, why is the bird going to the guys that are out there busting their butts with you? That one I can't figure out. And, you know, anybody out there who wants to email us or, or tweet us uh, something that I'm missing, please help me out. Because I, I just – I. I know it's heat of passion, heat of the moment, but to be that disrespectful to the guys that you're going to combat with, I don't understand. College football, the National Football League, or baseball, I'm at London Bridge on Twitter. You can reach me there, and I will relay the message, even though Al in White Plains is available as a Twitter handle. So tweet at me. We can get Al on Twitter. I'm trying. Twisting his, his good leg a little bit. We'll see what happens as these shows go on. We talked a lot about how good offenses were, and we can get off the NFL on this. I still haven't really seen much overall from the Giants. It's another game where Odell went a little quiet in the first half, 
got a little frustrated. Saquon was okay, but in these games now where we're seeing quarterbacks have to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns just to stay in a game, I don't know how many times you're going to get that out of Eli Manning. I, I just don't see it, and they fall to one three. Well, you know, I, I just didn't see the ball go down the field much. Uh, certainly nothing down the field to Beckham. Uh, New Orleans ran pretty much anything they wanted. Uh, Breeze outside uh, in, and it wasn't a real windy day here, but still the breeze of uh, the new Giants stadium. Uh, played very well. Uh, Kamara is a, a wonderful player. He took the Giants apart uh, in every conceivable fashion. Every, anytime he touched the ball, he was a threat to go all the way. Uh, running with it, catching it, running with it. Uh, Breeze was his usual self. And the Giants just could not get the ball down the field after a, an excellent first drive that put him up 7 nothing. Next thing you know, four field goals later, it's 12-7 at the half. New Orleans were scoring pretty much every time they had the ball. They weren't scoring touchdowns, but they were keeping the ball away from the giant offense, and the Giants could not put any big plays in a league of big plays with two big-time big-play threats that everybody has talked about as being such a tremendous one-two combination, and they are correct. These are, are, are two incredibly gifted players uh, athletically. Uh, who can go 80 yards anytime they touch the ball. But they really have not been put in very many positions where they have the opportunity to do that. And as a result, uh, the Giants are now one and three. And uh, in, in a division where, you know, two and two has you in first place. Uh, and I, I think nine and seven will, will probably win it. Uh, but. Eli Manning looked good in the first drive, uh, and then the ball just never really got down the field, and it, it's just hard to figure uh, what they're doing offensively. And, and on defense, uh, they just they could not make any plays to get New Orleans off the field. And with Baker Mayfield getting his first NFL start against a winless Oakland Raiders team in Oakland, you couldn't have asked for a better game, a better what turned into a shootout, 45-42. And a controversial controversial call in overtime. Yes. Uh, You can tell the folks what what happened, uh, but I I can't figure it out, so maybe maybe you can help me. Well, it it was interesting. The announcers said, that the broadcasting crew was doing a great job, one of the best broadcasting crews in the league and all the veteran experience they had. A lot of interesting overturns and and ball placements, and one in particular where it looked pretty clear on the television where the ball was. I uh, Maybe we were watching a replay from the first quarter or a wrong part of the game because I was shocked that that got turned in the wrong direction for the Browns. It, yeah, I, I don't know how that wasn't a first. How was that not a first down? What, what was the what was the explanation? Didn't have the volume on to be able to okay. hear it, which was a shame. Right. But right. ugly because is what it was, and Browns it, it fans looked, can't be happy. It, it looked for all the world like it was a first down to me. Yeah, and you know, uh, again, the Browns uh, were in a position to win that game. They could not stop the Raiders. 
uh, who scored and, you know, to add insult to injury, didn't just score the touchdown to put the position to tie, converted on the two-point conversion uh, to send it in overtime, missed a, a, a field goal in overtime, and then um, got a, a kicked a field goal to win it 45-42. In a game for all the world, the Browns were going to win. Uh, Baker Mayfield, an up-and-down game, uh, had an interception return for a touchdown on early on to make it 7-0, which was not his fault. Uh, ball went right off the receiver's hands. Looked at the receiver lost their balance uh, going for the football. Uh, but popped up in the air, returned for a touchdown. And that game just went back and forth the rest of the way, up, down, up, down, up, down for the Browns. And uh, looked like they were going to get their second win in a row. And uh, as is their want, they found a way to lose it. Well, there was another call as well. Looked like Derek Carr fumbled. They called his progress real quick with the whistle. That would have been the Browns football, potentially a touchdown on the return. Even in the first quarter, Marshawn Lynch had one of his patented runs where his legs kept moving and the defenders kept moving and they stopped his forward progress. And he ran back into the referee's face like, did you mistake who I was? Like, you can't call a play dead that quickly. This is what I do. So it was interesting that even at the end, they were so excited about the great job that the officials did. And there's enough plays for both teams, or I think they could say differently. So that's 929-274-3437. You guys can call and leave a voicemail or text that number. Questions, comments, hot takes from myself and Al, and we'll answer them on next week's show. We slide into college football. We slide first into the game that... We've spoke of on this show, just didn't know what game it would be. And I said this on Friday on ACC Today, which you all can listen to on Sirius XM ACC Radio 371. How's that for a plug? I'm sure everybody... Shameless plug. Shameless everybody's going to run there. Shameless plug, uh, but richly deserved. We were gambling on this game in our Pick'em segment on Friday. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Urban Meyer... Everybody in the sports media forgets all the negative things that they said about him in the preseason because of what happened with Ohio State and his coaching staff. This is the game where that's all forgotten. Now, I had taken Ohio State at minus three, so that actually ended up being a loss on my behalf. But I still stand behind what I said because it still happened. Ohio State won the football game. James Franklin said that Penn State is a great team, but not an elite team yet. Another heartbreaking loss to Ohio State in Happy Valley, or just to Ohio State in general, I should say. Not what you want if you're a Penn State fan. An incredible comeback from Ohio State in the last quarter where, for whatever reason, Penn State just couldn't figure out how to stop simple screen passes that they were just trying to get first downs and turn into touchdowns. But this, if there will be any, I don't believe there's a tougher game on Ohio State's schedule. They jumped to the second spot in the top four rankings, AP poll. This was the game that they needed to have. They won it in thrilling fashion, and this is probably the game that makes everything that was said about Urban Meyer quickly get erased, like an Avengers reference in Thanos for all you people that know that reference. This was the game, and they pulled, they pulled it off. A heartbreaking they loss. They pulled a Penn rabbit State out of a hat. White out, Penn State, 106,000. Nuts the whole game. Um, it, it, this looked for all the world like it had a Penn State win written all over it. Their defense played extraordinary. They had Ohio State on their heels the whole game. Ohio State's passing attack was never in sync. Uh, they didn't run the ball well. 
uh, Penn State in a, de a, a defense that looked awful uh, against Illinois, uh, played brilliantly for the lion's share, no pun intended, of this football game. And Ohio State looked mortal. Uh, their timing was way off. Uh, their quarterback, who had been brilliant uh, throughout the early season, was never comfortable. Uh, he looked unsettled, uh, throwing on the run. He was not accurate, uh, throwing the ball before he had to. And as you said, what they resorted to were a lot of quick hit wide receiver screens, stuff out in the flat. And it was really the yards after the catch that absolutely killed Penn State. Uh, the first touchdown, uh, the touchdown that got him back in the game uh, to make it 26-20 uh, was a brilliant uh, catch and broken field run uh, by one of the Ohio State wide receivers. And then they get the ball back, and he takes him down the field. Um, they got a 27-26 lead, and Penn State's still in a position to win the game. And Really, you know, which, you know, I, I saw some of the James Franklin dog and pony show and the speeches and uh, about, you know, who we are and what we are and what we're not, what we have to work to be, et cetera, et cetera, which gets a little tiresome. You know, we've heard him say countless times that his quarterback, all he's done is win since he's in diapers. And on fourth and five, with the game on the line, he takes the ball out of his quarterback's hands and runs a counter play into up the middle, uh, which was tremendously smelled out and uh, well played by the Ohio State defense and never had a chance. And for him not to put the ball in his quarterback's hands there with a chance to make a play with the game on the line, uh, someone's got to explain that one to me whether it's, and I'm sure it was the offensive coordinator who comes up with that call. They always do. But that was just, I mean, I, I was watching that game last night and I was just kind of like, I was shaking my head to make sure I saw what I saw because I simply could not believe that that's the play upon which Penn State's hopes ended. A counterplay on fourth and five, uh, just inside of midfield with the game on the line. And it just, just mind-numbing to me. They call timeout. Ohio State calls timeout. They call timeout, or however it went. It took forever for that play to even be decided, and you thought, all right, here we go. This is the moment for this quarterback. This is what he's probably dreamed of. This is what Penn State fans know he's capable of converting. Fourth and five, Trace McSorley, let's go. A zone read, run, pass, option, hand the ball off not even a fake to have him run have your quarterback even run it no he hands the ball off you said it whoever made that call if it wasn't franklin needs to be fired yesterday on the bus get off the bus that play call is unacceptable that's a game that you can't lose if you're penn state like oh you can understand the first one then you can understand beating them lucky block a field goal etc they're to the point now where they are expected almost to win that game, and especially being at home at this stage of James Franklin as their coach, at this stage of where their quarterback is as the leader of their team, they have to win that football game. They have to convert that play at least. 
And to call that, I could not believe it. And I don't think if you're Penn State, you're going to sleep the rest of the year because I'd be hard-pressed to think you would believe that's going to be their only loss. But Ohio State, they're going to get in. You're not again. And now you have no argument against why you should be in over Ohio State. None. It was unbelievable. As you mentioned, I was shaking my head all night and I don't have a dog in the fight. Whoever wins, whatever. I don't really like Ohio State. I don't really like Penn State. For yeah, I, I don't like both. either team. But still, I, I just, as a you know, sports fan, what happened there? I, I now, here, I, here's the one thing. Here's the one thing you, you did say your description of the play. I guess the one thing that goes unanswered here is did they actually put it in his hands? Did he have the option of pulling that ball out and running with it? Right, that we don't know. And I haven't heard, maybe they talked about it after the game, but I didn't hear any clarification for it, whether it was his call to hand it off, whether it was a handoff straight up, whether he could have taken it himself on a fake. But my point sure. would be this. Even if the, it was, I still don't like the call. I want him dropping back. Exactly. You need five yards. I'm not running the ball on fourth and five. If it's a scramble... All right, so be it. But I'm, I'm not running a designed running play for anybody on the field, all right, when he's my quarterback. I want him back to pass. Now, if he winds up scrambling for it and making something happen, that's fine. He's incredibly, incredibly skillful at doing that. But I want him back behind his offensive line, looking downfield, and then if nothing's there, off he goes. Yeah, they got the spy, but... I, I, he's my, I got to trust him. I got to trust him to make a play in that situation the way a big time quarterback does it. And my point is, I don't, uh, you know, I don't think the quarterback counter is the one that gives him the, uh, the, the opportunity to make the play. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on sports radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. All right, we got about a dozen minutes left in the show, but I know we have to get into one more game for college football. And working on ACC radio all week coming into the Saturday game was Dabo Sweeney's decision to let Kelly Bryant know that he was going to go with Trevor Lawrence as his starting quarterback moving forward. Kelly Bryant, the senior, decides he's only played four games. He has the opportunity to transfer under the new rules. He will do so, which means Clemson was left with just Trevor Lawrence as their starting quarterback, a freshman as their guy. Not to say he doesn't deserve as much, just a little bit of pressure. You could have bet your house that there was going to be something that went wrong against Syracuse on Saturday, whether he got hurt, whether he struggled, whether there was any opportunity for you to say he's either got to come out of the game because he can't handle it or an injury takes him out of the game. Sure enough, a little bit of a hit to the head. Out comes Trevor Lawrence. In comes Bryce off the bench. Who's this guy? We don't even know who the backup quarterbacks are yet. It's been so quick. We haven't gotten the, like, broadcast let's flash to the sidelines because Clemson's winning the game oh here's the other two quarterbacks now that Kelly Bryant's gone no no it happened so quick no one had any idea what was going to happen the plus 25 and a half the 25 and a half points that Syracuse was given in this game became hysterical at how easy it was going to be for them to cover the spread but damn it 
They had a chance to win that football game, Al. Had a chance. They led this football game. And let's just say, before you get into it, this is your alma mater we're talking about, by the way, Syracuse. This this is my alma mater. Coach Babers has put them back on the map. Now, remember last year they stunned Clemson at Syracuse under the dome when Brian got knocked out of the game. They did not win another game after the Clemson game. They come out of the box this year undefeated. They're 4-0. They're a plus 25-and-a-half in this game. They take the lead early. They trail after a second field goal, 7-6. They take the lead back, and they hold the lead the entire game. They get up two scores, 23-13. Clemson gets it to 23-20. Syracuse goes down the field and has a huge fourth and one from midfield. They decide to go for it. They convert on a jump pass to the tight end for about a 25-yard gain. Beautiful play, and, by the way. And they get called for an illegal man downfield. One of their offensive linemen unexplicably wandered about four or five yards downfield. It was the proper call. It's the right call. He's got no business going down there. I don't know what he was thinking. Fourth and six, they kick it back to Clemson, who starts from their own six. And the freshman takes them down the field. They have their own fourth and one decide to go for it before they can go for it. They get called for a procedure, uh, false start. It's fourth and six. And he rips his best throw of the day down the right side, complete for a first down. They go down the field and then the inexplicable happens with a full complement of timeouts and Clemson in scoring territory where they're in a position to kick, at the very worst, a game-tying field goal. And with the clock continuing to run, Coach Babers does not spend any of his timeouts. And Clemson, not even killing clock, running at a fast pace against a, a, a tired Syracuse defense, which he doesn't call a timeout to rest. Instead of Syracuse having the ball after the Clemson touchdown, down four with two minutes to go. Syracuse winds up with the ball down four with 40 seconds to go and all of their timeouts. And they finish the game with all of their timeouts. If this was on a bigger stage, and I did not hear the postgame press conference, I don't know if anyone from the post standard, uh, et cetera, asked the question, Coach, why aren't you calling timeout there to – a, save time for your offense. B, uh, give your defense some rest on a hot day. I have no idea what he was thinking. I just, just it, it was a complete vapor lock, a total choke job by a coach who has done a tremendous job and just completely, I, I don't know where the assistants are. I don't know what's going on up in the booth. How is someone not in his ear tell coach? we got to start using our timeouts. They're going to score here. Even if they kick a field goal, it's going to be a tie game. We want time for the offense. Didn't spend one. And lo and behold, you are 80 yards away with 40 seconds to go against what is supposed to be, according to Mel Kuyper Jr., four number one draft picks uh, on the front four of the Clemson defense. They went backwards. They never challenged. And what for all the world looked like it could be a second year in a row of a huge upset for the Cuse. 
turns into a 27-23 loss, and uh, Clemson survives. Couldn't have said it better if I was a Syracuse fan. It was a shame. And they had opportunities to maybe get a bigger lead, but to be where they were, it's still a game where, on the good side, if you're an Orange fan, you expect them to be able to close that out, especially against a quarterback who's getting his first action in Chase Bryce who actually made some very good throws in the second half. He responded to some crappy ones when he first got in, not on the same page with wide receivers and such, but understandably so for Clemson to fall to four in the AP top four. Georgia remains at uh, three now, and Alabama will stay at one. So I'll flip through our six-pack. We actually did pretty well in college football, at least. West Virginia, minus three for you. I like that. Central Florida, I was going to steal, but you had already taken it. I like that. Cha-ching to cha-ching. Stanford getting five. I actually thought that was too high of a number going into the game for Notre Dame. So I didn't like, I liked that pick as well, but Notre Dame turned it on for once. At least this Notre Dame, Notre Dame looked looked terrific. And their quarterback book played a terrific game. And, and quite frankly, uh, Notre Dame handled them on the line of scrimmage. Clemson, or, or excuse me, Stanford got it back to 14 all, uh, but Love got hurt again. Looks like he's got another ankle injury. Who knows when he'll be back? His Heisman chances are long gone. And Notre Dame is playing very, very well. The quarterback change has worked out terrific for them. And in retrospect, which is the best way to analyze your picks, in retrospect, after the fact, I should have known better because this was a Stanford team that should have been down 31 to seven in or at Oregon, and by the result of a touchdown turnaround and uh, a 14 point turnaround, uh, they got dominated at Oregon, and they pulled a rabbit out of the hat and got that win. Uh, going to Notre Dame on the road for a second week in a row, I, I should have known. I went with two that the critics seemed to like as just straight-up wins, and it ended up working that way in both circumstances. Florida getting a touchdown, win the game outright. Uh, Virginia Tech getting four points against Duke, win the game outright. Great pick. Great pick. And, and neither game with the points ever in doubt. Right. And Ohio State minus three and a half. I didn't really like that, but eh. Eh. Whatever. This was the game that came true in a different sense. The forget all the negative stuff we said about Urban Meyer football game. He wins football games for us. To the NFL, it didn't didn't bear as well, which of course I, I did say I thought it was an incredibly difficult week, and it turned out to be that for yours truly. At least the ones that we picked. We should have went the other way with our gut to the hard games and went, it should go this way. It would have been fine, but of course not. I lost a tough one with the Cowboys. Uh, they were up, uh, looked like in control of that game. Things fell apart. And when things fall apart, that means things usually fall apart on the play. I took the Cowboys minus two and a half. Their winning field goal at the gun gives them a two-point win and gives me a loss by the hook. Uh, my other two plays were just, uh, I, I thought this would finally be the week for the Chargers. It wasn't. They were laying a big number against uh, Bethard and the boys. Uh, but CJ battled them, and the Niners made this a much closer game than I thought it was going to be. My Charger pick, minus 10, uh, was never really in the hat. Uh, so that's the second loser for me. 
And you know, I had the Eagles minus three under control, and that fell apart as well. I thought I was going to get a push with the OT field goal, and uh, lo and behold, uh, I, I end the NFL uh, weekend with a hideous uh, goose egg at 0 3. I hate three and a half numbers, but sometimes I just think, ah, it'll be fine. They won't need the field goal, but that's usually never the case. It either proves true or they lose completely, which happened twice here with the Falcons and the Seahawks, both minus three and a half. Whoops a daisy. Thankfully, the Texans pulled it out at minus one. I was thinking, watch there be a tie, and technically, <laughs> <laughs> technically I lose this bet and go home three. Exactly. Pulled one exactly. out. Exactly. So instead of breaking down baseball as to what will be, because we're recording this Sunday night, and as we mentioned last week, there could potentially be chaos. There is not in the American League. The Yankees and Athletics will play for the wild card spot in the Bronx on Wednesday, but there is chaos in the National League. The Brewers and the Cubs, the Rockies and the Dodgers will both play for their respective divisions, The loser of the Rockies-Dodgers then travels to the loser of the Brewers-Cubs for the NL wild card game on Tuesday. And remember, folks, write that down in pencil and try to figure it out. I've heard people, including the morning men, say, why is this happening? It didn't used to happen. If both teams were in the playoffs, you just broke the division winner uh, tiebreaker with the head-to-head amongst the teams. And the loser would be the wild card team. But remember now, we can't do that anymore because that wild card team would simply go in and play a best of five on, on the road versus having home field. Uh, well, we don't do that anymore because the wild card plays in the one game wild card game uh, because we have the additional wild card. So we can't do that uh, simple head to head tiebreaker anymore to determine uh, who wins the division uh, because. The damage is far too great to the team that loses it, so you have to play it on the field. Now, this might be because I've been on the side of a team that has to play in it, but I've never been the biggest fan of the one-game wild card just to get into the official postseason format. And the Yankees have done it more than once. It's a heart-wrenching game for fans. I'm sure it's the same way for players. I hate that that's the decider for 162 baseball games. I know the argument is, well, win your division. Well, of course, that's the goal. I don't think teams purposely don't win their division, but sometimes it ends up in baseball getting decided pretty early. Unfortunately, we saw that with the Red Sox. You have a Yankees team that breaks the record for the most home runs by a team and one through nine hitting 10-plus home runs through the lineup, and they finish second in their division and are gonna, might not even make the postseason. I would well, rather see either a college format where it's best of three or a format where the higher seed, whoever the better team was in the regular season, only needs to win one game. The other team would have to win two, and that's how they decide it. I know that the traveling would be awful. I know that the schedulings of the games at the end of the season wouldn't be great. It just rubs me the wrong way that it's only one game to see who's going to get into the postseason. I know that a lot of people disagree with that, but I wanted to see what you thought about it as well. Well, what I, what I would like to see is that um, once you've got uh, your four teams, uh, you, you've got the wild card. You got the one and done. You got to live with it. Uh, 
to do anything else, it would create just havoc scheduling wise. Uh, Cause the way the season is structured, you'd be playing well into November. Uh, it, it would create a mess uh, off days, you know, pitching bullpens. What I would like to see, and it's not because the Cardinals played the Cubs, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when the Cubs won, uh, you know, the, the Cardinals, the Cubs and, and the Pirates won 198, 97 games. What I would like to see is that once the four are set, I, I would like to see a one against four, two against three, based upon regular season uh, record. Um, y- you winning your division, okay, uh, gets you into the playoffs. It gets you away from the wild card game. But once the four are set, uh, I don't think a team uh, that ha- has the best record should be playing a wild card team that might have the second best record. Reseed. Okay, one against four, two against three, and off you go. And like I said, I don't say that because the Cubs beat the Cardinals in a three out of five series. I say that because um, you should get the proper reward for having the best record in your league. And that shouldn't be playing the team with the second best record in your league. If they didn't win the division because they were in your division, uh, you shouldn't have to play them. Uh, I would recede one against four, two against three. Uh, regardless of uh, who won divisions, once the wild card game is over. That's the way I would solve my dilemma. And the unfortunate part is the wild card get in game is the jackpot game for Major League Baseball because the stakes are incredibly high. The viewership also becomes incredibly high. If purist baseball fans are going to watch this game, if Fairweather fans are going to watch this game, everybody's watching this game to see who gets in, and they hit a double jackpot this year with division games having to be decided in game 163. They'll take that any day of the week. Forget your it's fairness. Be, it's it, it, it's going to be dizzying. Uh, the only thing that is, is makes it a little anticlimactic is that they're all in. I will save my comments for next week's show. And they will be based on what happens on Wednesday of this week. How is that for a tease, folks? Fingers are crossed. It's not when we come back from a break. You're going to have to wait till next week to hear the big man's comments. I'll either be happy or as disgruntled as you were when the cards, unfortunately, didn't have it in the cards this year. And when Syracuse uh, spit the bit and their coach vapor locked and didn't use any timeouts to at least give them a chance to rally uh, after Clemson came back to win that game, or at least take the lead and then ultimately win that game. You're going to get a rant regardless. That's the beauty of this show. Regardless, we'll all be watching. We'll all be rooting. Folks, have a great sports week. Enjoy all the baseball. Everybody have a great sports week. As I said before, Johnny, always a pleasure, and I will speak to you next week. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.